All right. I'd like to welcome back to the asylum, Stephanie Cook, uh, celebrated author, YA author, uh, former editor, if I'm not correct. Current editor, still too. Still editor. So juggling many hats, (laughs) wearing many hats. That's great. So welcome back to the asylum. How has 2021 been for you? It's been a bit of a roller coaster, uh, but it's been pretty great overall, you know, ongoing pandemic stuff aside. Um, we obviously couldn't have predicted that this would just go on for as long as it has, but, uh, you know, and and ideally it would have been nice for books to come out into a world where that wasn't a thing. Uh, but we make the most of a bad situation and I'm still eternally grateful to have had, oh my gods come out this year to have Paranorthern come out this year. We did a self-published book with, uh, Toronto comics called life. So it's been a really incredible year and um, I'm really proud of it overall. So, yeah. Yeah, you've been incredibly busy. I know we spoke not too long ago about Oh My Gods. Um, So let's get into Paranorthern. What can you tell us about it? Sure. I've got it right here. Awesome. Excellent. <laughs> so uh, it's Paranorthern and the Chaos Bunny Apocalypse. And uh, <laughs> it's by myself and then written or art by uh, Mari Costa, who is just incredible. Uh, so basically, this is uh, a story for young readers. Uh, and four friends accidentally open up a portal to another dimension. Uh, this dimension starts spilling out chaos bunnies who aren't like inherently evil. They're just, they're, I, I liken them to Stitch from Lilo and Stitch where they're just chaotic and they want to cause all the trouble possible and you shouldn't let them into your world at all costs. So fearing that Abby is going to get in trouble for this, her and her friends team up to try and find a way to close this portal and send the bunnies back from whence they came and stop the apocalypse. So it's a apocalypse. Did I get that a-hop-calypse. right? Apocalypse. Yes. Apocalypse. Yeah. Because it's got again these little bunnies. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had I had a lot of fun reading it, uh, and yes. it was amazing how layered it was. And, and so if you read it the first time, you can interpret it one way, but then you find out that there's all these themes in it on second reading. And so depending on your age, your sensibility, you can pick a whole bunch of stuff out of it. Uh, what was it like crafting the story? Yeah, this was honestly something that had been in my head for so long. And when I had like my day job and it was just one of those positions that I hated, Paranorthern was kind of my escape. Uh, before I was like writing long form, I was just kind of doing short stories and trying to find my voice. But Paranorthern was this project that I kind of stuck with on the side. And it was like my happy place to kind of like build this world and to have these characters. And I kind of just like didn't know if it was any good or not. Cause like I didn't talk about it with like a lot of other people. It was just a way for me to have an outlet, like a creative outlet. And, um, yeah, it definitely changed a lot from like its original inception and then to what it is now from, you know, my uh, agent taking a look at it to us selling it to um, HMH Kids, now Clarion Books. It's really evolved from that first place. But crafting this world, I knew I wanted to play around with like magic and like 
magical beings. And like, how boring is it to just have like a magical world where anything's possible and to make everyone human? It's like Star Wars, how everyone is just like, again, humans. And then you have like an occasional cool alien or something that's like, like chewy. And it's like, but you could do so much more with that. Like you have endless possibilities. And so for me, it was kind of figuring out what sort of like lore and supernatural stuff I could pull from to kind of create these original beings. And um, it was a lot of fun. And uh, I love this book so much. And I think I maybe mentioned this on the last time, but like Paranorthern was actually technically the first book I sold. It came out second, but like it was the first thing that I ever kind of sold. So it'll forever have like a really special place in my heart. So no, it, it was great. And I, it was kind of interesting because there's a lot of diversity in there, mm-hmm. but it's with the different types of magical beings, mm-hmm. but it also is a mirror of our own reality. And yeah. so it was quite interesting seeing how the, the characters just take certain things for granted. Um, and so, and so what made them different was actually what brought them all together. Yeah. And I think, one of the things I really wanted to play with was having this world. But if you kind of think about like, again, like lore and mythology and superstition and stuff, everybody always kind of says for these fantastical things, it must've started somewhere, you know, like there's a kernel of truth in over the top stories. So it's like, if we have a world where multiple worlds and dimensions exist, what would bleed into that like what could I play with in our world and put a spin on it for a new world and playing around with not just again like the beans and the world but the lore too so and those incredibly cute bunnies are quite hilarious I was very very pleased with those that's like my (laughs) love of Monty Python and the holy grail coming (laughs) through (laughs) Yeah, for sure. And then there's also like the hero's journey that you have, right? And not really knowing what your destiny is, but making mistakes along the way, trying to, you know, right wrongs. Yeah, like that's a really important lesson that I think young people need to learn is that like, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to talk to people. And like, Abby doesn't really talk to her mom because she doesn't want to burden her, but like she talks to her friends, she gets help and, you know, they find the way together. And there's something really appealing about talking about that whole thing. Like for instance, I don't know if you've watched Steven Universe, but I remember watching the first season of it when it was first airing. And there's this episode where Steven travels with the gems to another world and they mess up. And this whole temple crumbles because they don't succeed in the mission and it's kind of like a little bit like Stephen's fault but like nobody blames him for that they're like he's a kid this was a mistake you know this isn't the end of the world this was temporary it's fine and it really stuck with me like that kind of notion of making sure that kids know it's not the that doesn't define you you grow from your mistakes and we become the people we are based on the mistakes we make and what we learn. So yeah, like that was something I really wanted to play around with and incorporate into the story. 
And because the audience, the intended audience for Paranorthern is our younger readers, does that change how you go about crafting not only the themes and the messages in your work, um, but also then, you know, how the characters interact? Because what you mentioned there is kind of like Spider-Man's with, you know, great power comes great responsibility. And, and you know, I'm, I'm a former teacher, so I totally understand with kids not wanting to make mistakes and not realizing that they're supposed to, like you're supposed to make mistakes. That's so when you get older, you can then, you know, take what you've learned and apply it as opposed to, you know, making catastrophic mistakes when you're older. Yeah. I think mistakes, especially when you're young can seem really catastrophic, like you said, and they can be kind of villainized in a way like mistakes lead to, they lead down a bad road and it's like, you know, this good and evil narrative that, was really shoved down our throats as like young people. And sure, some things can be that simple and broken down, but like most things aren't. Like it's not just black and white. There's like a whole kind of like spectrum in between that. And it's important that we experience those things because like you can't just exist on this spectrum of one or the other, you know? Not everything is exactly right or exactly wrong. And it's uh, definitely just something that we have to kind of embrace. Um, I think I've gone on a tangent and I forgot what the actual question was, but. Oh, but no, 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 your answer is great. It was more along the line because <laughs> now I'm going to, I'm going to take what you're saying, but we'll get back to my original question, okay, right? So which sorry. was like, like how, how has writing for a young audience right. Right. That kind of affected your creative process? But also I want to stick with this. Because it's almost like that, like trying to be perfect, especially with the way the world is now, where you don't know what kind of lockdown you're going to be in next. You don't know about the virus, but it almost that perfection sometimes leads to an anxiety that yeah. kind of is debilitating. Yeah. And like Paranorthern, for instance, is definitely like a younger audience than this, but like young people have so much on their shoulders that we don't really take into consideration. If you think about it, you know, kids are expected to make decisions when they're in their like young to mid teens about what school they're going to go into, what's their career trajectory, trajectory going to look like, and, you know, not understanding anything about money. And they're going to go into these like loans to pay for school. And it's wild what we put on the shoulders of kids and, you know, the, the, the need for them to do well in school and have extracurriculars and all of these other things is wild. You know, I never, I knew I was really fortunate when I was younger. Cause like my parents wanted me to do well, but they didn't really super pressure me. And I always knew I didn't want to be a doctor. I always knew like, I didn't want to go into like a field where I would require university. Like that was something that I learned about myself very, very young. So I wasn't overly concerned with grades. I did well enough, but like, you know, didn't like bend over backwards to basically try and do well in subjects that I didn't think would be a thing for me later on. And they really didn't. So I, that kind of played out in my favor. I know that's not always the case. And again, when we're young, we're expected to understand where we want our lives to go when we don't, we're not fully formed people. It's yeah. bananas. Yeah, so, we're, not in, we're not even the same people. Like from, yeah, from 15 to 25, you're completely different. Yeah. And it, I just think it's such a 
wild system. And, you know, kids always want to grow up so fast. And, you know, when you're like young, you want to be in high school because that's cool or middle degree or at middle school. And it's always like this next thing. And the pressure just kind of mounts over time. And, you know, like, I think kind of, again, just like letting people know that it's okay to not know the future. It's okay to have mistakes. It's okay. All that stuff to go on and to have different paths along the way. You don't need to know what you want to do by the time you're 19. Like it's, it's a lot. So I, I think like, it's important to kind of just like have fun with stories and let them be an escape and have like kind of subtle ways for young people to understand that, you know, it's okay. It's going to be okay. It, 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 it actually does. Cause I can tell you countless people, I'm sure in your walk of life as well too, maybe they go to university or college, wherever, and they realize halfway through, I'm going to switch my major. Cause I don't even like this. Yeah. Right. Cause they find their passion. They're raised on halfway through, right. You're developing yes. your sense of self. You're breaking away from your parents you know, you're experiencing new things and like, it's kind of like, you don't know what you don't know until you know, you don't know it. Right. Yeah. It's, so, it's yeah. pretty. Yeah. Like for instance, like when I was in finishing off my last couple of years of high school, I was like interning at a radio station, which was really cool. And I was like, Oh, but this like small radio station has kind of like taught me everything. Like, why would I need to go to school for this? Like radio and music was kind of my passion, but like, I was like, why would I pay for this when actual professionals have taught me this? This seems weird. So I went to school for advertising and graphic design because I really liked art. And while I'm grateful for a lot of those courses now, you know, like typography kind of leads into lettering. And right. uh, I took actual art courses, which gave me an eye for layouts and paneling and that sort of thing. All of those ultimately worked towards the person I am now, but I dropped out after a year because I wasn't passionate about it. And I knew graphic design wasn't a job I could see myself ultimately doing. So, I mean, again, I'm, I'm happy I had like some self-awareness early on to kind of step away from those things when I wasn't finding kind of joy or a path with them, but so many other people don't. And it's a, bigger journey. And I mean, I ultimately wound up in like retail and all these like other kind of spirals for years and you feel lost and aimless and like you're failing because there's just all these expectations on you. Yeah. I, it's kind of interesting. Cause I worked on a film earlier this year and it was amazing how many industries are within a movie set. Yeah. And if, and if kids knew, if there was some way that you can get industry to get into schools earlier, not just, you know, what is kind of like the job fair week <laughs> in yeah. high school, you know, there are a lot of kids that would know from the time they're 12, that's an option. And we have societies where you have a lot of people either were born here or coming in as new immigrants and their parents are bringing their own thoughts of what is viable as a career. Mm -hmm. And a lot of options are, are kind of closed off to a lot of kids because like, you, you know, you can't do that because the parents have no idea that yes. this is a viable profession. Yeah. So, it, so like, you know, you're, you're on a film set, you've got makeup, you've got art, you've got people who are doing carpentry, you have directors, you have camera people, you've got the director, 
you know, there's so there's basically there's almost like a, a, a city of jobs on this one project. It's unbelievable. Almost like the opportunities that we're missing by not letting, you know, the kids know that that's an option. Yeah. And like, I think creative industries as a whole are largely like waved aside. Like I didn't really think that writing was an option for me until realistically not that long ago. And I'd always kind of been working on stuff for myself, but like the idea of making it a career, my parents, again, were like very good at like, do what makes you happy. But like the world largely kind of tells you, no, that those aren't things. Nobody told me editing was a job. Nobody told me that like I could color things. Like nobody told me that all of these other avenues existed. Production exists, you know, like there's all these different ways that are within the industries. And like you said, like contribute to it, but aren't those kind of like glamorized positions. And so many people step away from things that they love because they just, yeah, like you said, they don't understand everything that goes into it. And yeah, it's really a shame. I, we didn't really have like a lot of like career days. Like I, I, I've been doing like school visits and stuff and like library visits and Like, to me, it's, like, wild that somebody could have come in and told me these things as a kid and been, like, did you know that these are, like, options? And, like, not just for writers and stuff, too, but, like, you know, film people and stuff. Like, that wasn't really a thing. Like, my school did not have the budget for that sort of stuff. And I'm just, like, so envious of kids growing up these days who get these opportunities to connect with people who can change their lives. And... I really just think there should be more of that. So, yeah, I totally, I totally agree. I totally agree. Now we can go back to the previous <laughs> question. <laughs> that was a, that was a great sidetrack. <laughs> yes, I love it. How is your creative process different now that you're doing a lot of YA stuff? How how does that inform how you're going to you know get your themes and your narrative on, on the page? Yeah. I mean, I definitely think I want, I I prioritize story and the characters and I make sure that they have like really solid arcs and journeys. You know, I answer a lot of questions that I feel are important to get to know someone. It's like going on a date with like someone and being like trying to figure out what they like, what they don't like. Uh, But like you're building these characters and kind of just trying to figure out who they are. And I kind of think that themes come organically when you have characters and a story really fleshed out. Uh, So with that being said, in terms of writing for like a younger audience, you know, I think when people think of writing for kids, they think they have to kind of like really like dumb things down a little bit. And like, that's not the case. Kids are extremely smart and they absorb a lot more of the world than we really think sometimes, you know, and it's important that what you're writing isn't condescending. They can pick up on themes and, you know, big concepts. You look at like Raina Telgemeier's books, which really run the gamut and cover a ton of extremely tough topics like ghosts. It's about a kid dying and Raina just handles these books expertly. And Like she's one of the best-selling kids authors in the world currently, you know, like there, I think she's the perfect example of how kids 
handle and absorb these big things if you can kind of put them in a story that they ultimately enjoy. And it's important to kind of make sure that the story, again, is kind of put at the forefront and you're not talking down to anybody, you know? So I think certainly with like younger audiences, you can have a lot more fun. You can do a lot more like silly jokes and like dad jokes. Again, like there's like a pun in like the title of this. So I, I, like- I want to get to that later because uh, the humor, <laughs> like I, I've been telling dad jokes before I was since before I was a dad. So uh... I'm totally in love with a lot of the humor in this, especially the yeah. pumpkin humor and stuff. It's, uh, it's so great. Yes. But like, you know, there's definitely a lot more room to be fun in that sense for younger audiences where you can have fun with like older audiences too. I'm not saying people can't write funny books and all that. Like Ryan North is a great example of that, but you know, like there's definitely more room to be silly and to kind of mix that in with the serious and kind of have that balance there. So yeah, I don't know if that entirely answered the question, but you know, (laughs) no, no, it's good. No, it's good because I think I think sometimes like, you know, like when, when you get into a business and you realize how they make the sausage and you realize like, it's not just the creative process. There's a lot of, there's like almost like a team and you know, I guess the creator in you is like, I don't need a focus group and I don't need to have an end of my end of my movie tested. Mm. Right to get an audience reaction. And then either you refilm or reshoot something based on that. You just want to go ahead and tell your story. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying is, is I agree with you, you tell a story, you be authentic and you know, whoever your audience is, whether they're young or old or in the middle, they're going to connect with it mm-hmm. and, yeah, and compelling characters first and then have them do great stuff second. And then you've got them. Characters are like the thing that I love character driven stories. So, you know, you kind of write what you know, and then you elaborate on the things you want to do and the things you want to see. So I think that that's, it's like having a friend, you know, I'm like a lonely only child. And so characters and stories were my friends growing up. I used to like sit around and like in my room and play with like toys and imagine these worlds like based on books and stuff. So writing them is similar, you know, it's like having friends, but like I'm kind of crafting their narrative and steering that ship. And uh, yeah, yeah, (laughs) I'm still just a big kid. I, I, I am too. I am too. I still laugh. Uh, a yeah. good buddy of mine <laughs> from this is probably back in the early eighties. We, uh, we were big star Wars fans and it was after empire, I think. And we went into his, to his backyard and we created a base with all of our action figures. And yep. it's funny now, like it made his mom really mad. Cause we destroyed his, uh, his mom's garden. We took, <laughs> we took the pipe and we like made tunnels and stuff. But it's funny because he now does sound work for film, right? And I do this stuff. So it kind of like you, it's almost like you, you're, you're feeding what you need from an early age. Yeah. 
and oh my gosh, you just reminded me like yesterday was the 20th anniversary of Lord of the Rings. And me and my like high school friend would just like recreate <laughs> Lord of the Rings scenes. But then also we were obsessed with this anime called Escaflone. Oh, Escaflone. Escaflone. Right. It's so good. Yeah. But, like we used to recreate scenes in her backyard. And I remember like one time we were like playing with like sticks. I think we were doing like sword fights and like one of them <laughs> broke and like it got like this fat lip. And then like, it's like, what happened? What happened? I was like, we're not going to talk about this, but uh, I grew up to write. She's a doctor. So we went very separate ways, but right. You know, the heart of our nerdiness is still there. But if you saw the Colbert rap. Yes. I I'm did. sure. I'm sure like it all the memories would flood back for your friend oh, as well, too. I know. I actually, I hadn't talked to her for a little while and uh, I sent her a message yesterday. I was like, happy holiday. Well, actually I didn't say happy holidays first. I said, happy Lord of the Rings 20th anniversary first is what I said, <laughs> to be honest. And then I said, also, if you don't hear from me before the holidays, happy holidays. But like, <laughs> we definitely mail, we, we have like Lord of the Rings, like code names for each other. And we like still send mail to each other as those names, like our mailman must be like, who, what? So yeah, we're, we're a little extra. <laughs> Excellent. And and let's let's talk about the humor in Paranorthern. Um, so you're a pretty funny individual, and I think that comes out in your writing. Do you have to sometimes like hold back? Because I know when I'm writing, sometimes I'm like, no, I, I gotta, I, I'm gonna hold back on some of the puns. Yeah, sometimes. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. I super lucked out with the best editor in the world. I think Incha and I talked about her when we were on last time, but right. Lily is like, again, I would take a bullet for her. I love her. And she's just like, but what about like more puns? And I'm like, marry me, <laughs> you know, like she's so great, but there is a give and take when you're trying to tell a story that does have like serious notes. Like it can't just be one note silly throughout, you know, there's gotta be, levels and layers so there's definitely moments where there's things that delight me that I, I think I put into like earlier drafts like like I mentioned the, the Monty Python thing um there was definitely like kind of more Monty Python references because of the bunnies and all this stuff and like they kind of wound up being worked out of the story because my editor was like this doesn't make sense you've clearly just like put this in because it delights you and uh it did. And I was very sad to cut it, but it was necessary for the story to kind of flow better. And um, yeah, I think there's moments when I look at like the scripts and like, I'm trying to kind of like up things and kind of really add a little bit more humor. Uh, but you have to kind of know when, um, like I've been working on another story with uh, it just got announced a few weeks ago, actually. This is like the first time I'm talking about it on podcast or on a, a, you know, what's a it's stream show. I don't know what YouTube shows are called. It, it'll be a podcast as well. So, yeah. Oh, okay. Streamcast. Uh, streamcast. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But like working on that has been like all of the books have been fun in their own way but this has been like over the top like it's set in Toronto it's called Rack Pack it's about like cool. a heist uh, raccoons heisting this <laughs> grocery store mother load dumpster and 
I had so much fun with my co-creator, Whitney Gardner, working on this story. And it was just like constantly adding jokes to it. Although there was like a couple moments when they were like, I think we need to take this out. There needs to be like at least like one serious moment in this scene. Like there's, it's like, okay, okay, fine. Yes. But like the jokes in it and like the fun we had just kind of packing that all in there was a delight. So I think again, it kind of, there's, it depends on what the book is. It depends on what your story is. It depends on the characters. Cause at the end of the day, if you're writing something that's character driven, you need to be true to who those characters are and they can't all be like silly jokesters. If you look at like the dynamics of any friend group, like not every single one is the class clown, you know, like that's extremely rare unless it's like a group of friends that all went to clown school, you know, like that's not usually the dynamic. Everyone has kind of a rule that evens the group out. So again, unless you're writing a book about clown school, you want that to kind of be balanced. So with Paranorthern, there's definitely things where I'm like, Ooh, this could be, this could have been a funny little thing. Uh, But you hold back a bit, but Rack Pack definitely has so many puns and jokes. So yeah. And and can I mention, or can I make the connection, your love of Ocean's Eleven and Rack Pack? So Whitney and I have been sitting on this book news since like February, March of this year. And um, we sold this book to Simon & Schuster again, very early on in 2021, which was part of this roller coaster of good stuff. Uh, But then we had to sit on this for like seven, eight months and like not talk about it. And Whitney and I have no chill collectively. Uh, We definitely were like, how could we like long con promotional... Anyways, long story short, we started the CaperCast, which is the heist podcast where we kind of decided to marry the research we were doing for the book with something that could eventually be not just, it's, I mean, yes, it's a promotional tool, but we definitely just love talking to each other. And, you know, this is like genuine research for us and getting to discuss it with people that we thought would enjoy it is kind of, you know, it's a fun way to do, uh, again, a long con of promotion and research. <laughs> and you, so speak to, cause I know you're, you're really good at collaborating with other writers. What's, what's it like working as a solo act and then working in a collaborative environment? Yeah. I mean, obviously when you're writing solo, you have a lot more kind of say in that, you know, but my agent, my editor both contribute my agent gives feedback before we even submit something, you know, if something doesn't work, I'm not like push it through anyways. Like she's like, "Mm, no, my name's on this too. So like, no. (laughs) So (laughs) they keep me honest and uh, she gives me feedback and so does an editor. And very rarely, I've never had somebody be like, wow, this first draft is perfect. Let's just send it off to the copy editors. It always needs work. So working on like something solo is great in the sense that I can kind of just do stuff in my own time and, you know, can just hunker down on things whenever collaborative, 
projects obviously require a little bit more coordination and communication is like my big thing, you know, and I've been really fortunate to just work with people that I like adore as human beings. And so you work on these projects and realistically, there's moments when any project that you're working on in a professional capacity is stressful, but these projects have largely been extremely, extremely fun because of the people that I work with. And I think it's really important when you go into a collaborative space, that communication is like kind of the, the thing at the forefront. You need to know how the other person works. You need to know what kind of feedback they like, you know, like with Whitney, for instance, I'm, I'm using Whitney. I know we're talking about Paranorthern, but this is like a fresh collaboration. So, you know, we'd be texting each other and it's like, Hey, like, here's like the first draft of the script. Like I'm still tweaking a couple of things. So if you can make notes separately, so I don't kind of hyper-focus on things as I'm finishing up, like, that'd be great. Then we can discuss. And, you know, Whitney will send me like art and be like, okay, like, you know, same thing. Like, let me know what you think. Uh, if there's like bigger notes, let's talk about them later on. And establishing how you best kind of respond to somebody and work with somebody and take feedback is really, really important. And I don't know that everyone always thinks of those things when they're going into, you know, a project because you might have like somebody who's a peer that's become your friend, but a lot of those relationships can go very bad if you aren't aware of how that friendship translates to a working relationship. So, you know, with my collaborators, I'm very honest about, or I try to be very honest about, you know, what kind of things bother me or like, you know, which things I prefer. And I ask them the same kind of stuff so that we can both be really comfortable or all, depending on how many people are involved, all have a comfortable, safe space to talk about a project, which I think is really important because sometimes you have to shoot people's ideas down and vice versa. Sometimes they have to tell you no and keep you honest. And you really need to have a sense that it's not personal and you're all trying to make the best story possible. Uh, so I think communication is just like... <laughs> the like holy grail of collaborations <laughs> that and i think being able to manage egos like if yes. you can if you can kind of get through it without ego then yes. i think it makes it that much easier yeah and i think there's always like a level of sadness for like a hot second depending on what it is if somebody's like that that doesn't work right and it's like, oh, because like you put some, you put heart into it, or if it's something that you're particularly attached to, again, like a bad joke, um, like it can hurt for like a hot second, but then you have to be like, am I, do, do I want to push back on this and have a discussion or is it genuinely better with this feedback? And you have to be able to separate that side of things and like kind of not respond like instinctively, like you have to kind of sometimes take a step back and be like, okay, am I upset about this because I was delighted by this very silly thing or, you know, so it's, it's definitely important to set those aside and just 
try to make the best story possible and understand that that's what your collaborators want too. So. So when, when you think about all, all the, the hats you've worn in your career and you're now on Paranorthern and you're talking about talking to your agent, has your time as an editor helped you not only see both sides of the creative uh, process, but also the business aspect of it too, when, you know, you have to take things out or add things? Yeah, a little bit. And I think every editor I work with, I take something from, you know, I've again, talked about Lily a lot, but like, she's just like so good at delivering that like critique sandwich, the hamburger where she knows how to talk you up and make you feel good, but then deliver the stuff that's like hard to kind of like digest, but then bring it back to, you know, the parts that you kind of really need to work on. And her and other editors that I've worked with each have different approaches to how they tackle projects. And I do too. Uh, But for writing, for editing, for everyone I ever work with, there's always something that I take from those experiences and try to apply to be a better creator going forward. And I think that should ultimately be the goal for everybody. We should always grow as creators and take things to make us better. Um, But yeah, I definitely, I think there's moments when there's like, I'm working on a pitch for instance, which I will not go into, but like, you know, I'm working with a really excited artist that I adore and they're so excitable and wonderful and lovely, but they'll be like, but like this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, no, like we need to focus this. And they're like, but I want to have this person too. And I'm like, yeah, but like, I know that editors and agents will not go for this. Like the focal point has to be here. And I feel like a buzzkill sometimes. Cause like, I know, I understand that side of what they're looking for. So I, I feel kind of crummy. So I mean, having to rein in that excitement, but I'm like, we won't get anywhere with this being, you know, this. And so it, it does kind of like suck to be the party pooper from time to time, but I think it also helps to not waste time at two, you know, we're doing something that like, for instance, like YA stuff, if you're writing for like a YA audience and you have adult protagonists like that's a really hard sell you know so you have to think about the audience who the characters are and there's so many different factors that kind of go into building a pitch building a story getting that story sold etc so it does help but it also you know kind of stinks and then like with projects that I work on with again, Lily, who I am clearly obsessed with. Uh, (laughs) I can hear her voice in my head when I work on projects for her. Like, she's always like, but what's the timeline? How much time has passed? You know what? And anytime I'm writing something for her and I shift like a week or a day or something, I have to write it down now because I know she's going to ask. I know she's going to want to know. And But that's like something that now I do for all of my projects. I make like timelines. I make all these things that I know might come back and bite me in the ass eventually. So yeah, it's you, I think ultimately you take from each experience and you try and apply that to you as a whole and hope that it doesn't turn you into like a really like pedantic, like technical person you hope that kind of 
you take all of these things and the creativity still comes and it just makes you ultimately, hopefully a better creator, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, totally. And I'll, I'll use it. I think it was a line that a guitarist, a guy, a guy named George Benson, he's a famous jazz guitarist. And they asked him something about, you know, playing guitar and he's a master and he says, I'm still learning. Right. And he's, I think he's probably in his eighties, seventies or eighties. And yeah. when you think of someone at that stage, that level, played with some like jazz giants still thinking that they are not anywhere near a master of their craft. And they're always trying to figure stuff out. It just shows you that no matter what level you're at, there's always more to take in and more to kind of learn. Yeah. The world is always evolving. The world is changing. Storytelling is changing and it applies to music too. You know, there's new albums released, there's new genres that kind of get explored. And all of those things are stuff that you need to take into consideration when you want to kind of create. And, you know, maybe I don't want to write like a horror series or something like for adults, but being open to that idea, playing with short stories in that genre and for those audiences, even if it's just something for me, still allows me to learn something and to explore different things and to understand how tension works and how building atmosphere through whatever works. And I think it's really important that we don't close ourselves off to different things, like whether it's, again, as a musician and it's like, different genres, different styles, all this stuff. And the same again applies to writing and editing. There's lessons to be learned across the board that you can take to not necessarily even be better, but just continue to grow and to incorporate. And I, I hope I never get to a point where I'm like, I've learned everything I can ever learn. I don't think that I would ever be like that, but you know, I, I sincerely hope that somehow that doesn't turn into who I am because I like growing. I like learning. I like pushing myself to step outside my comfort zone. And I think everyone should do that. So it's like, it's like when you go to a concert and the artist wants to have their new album played but the fans want their old stuff. They want the hits. Mm-hmm, but as mm-hmm, that artist, mm-hmm. I told, like, I get it. You want to hear the hits. But as the artist, you're like, I, I, I want to keep growing. Look at this new stuff I I'm know. making. And there's that balance that you have to, you know, have to achieve. I know. And, you know, like I, I mentioned very briefly that uh, I did a self-published thing with Megan Huang earlier this year that was uh, put out by Toronto Comics. It started as a backup series for the image comic series. I was editing Tartarus with Johnny Christmas and Jack T. Cool. And um, Megan and I decided that we wanted to do a collected version of it. But my point with that is it's very different from other things that I've done. You know, it's a sci-fi book that's kind of focused on nature. It has no words in it whatsoever. It's completely silent. And I think I wanted to explore playing with sci-fi. I love watching and reading sci-fi stuff, but I hadn't done a ton myself. Uh, So, you know, kind of playing around with that and imagining these far off worlds. It really isn't that different from fantasy. You know, it's just kind of playing with slight tweaks. Uh, But I, I, I think as a writer, it's again, 
it's not just enough to kind of play with genres sometimes too. You have to challenge yourself and like doing something where your scripts are essentially just art direction and trusting your collaborator to be able to pull that off and knowing they can kind of do that if you let them and listening to feedback and all this stuff. Megan's phenomenal. Like she's such an incredible creator. And that was such a rewarding and amazing experience to get to work on that with her and to have it be released. And yeah, I'm really proud of that one. I kind of like weirdly that happened like in such a whirlwind, like, and I kind of forget that it exists sometimes. Uh, but like, again, it's, I don't want to ever get comfortable, you know? Right. And speaking of not being comfortable and, you know, how things can change, considering how the year started and where you are now, can you please speak to how, uh, you know, I guess this is the cherry on top of your year being nominated for an award. Did I, did I read correctly? Yeah. So there's a couple of things kind of like we, we got nominated Paranorthern. Uh, so myself and Mari got nominated for a silver birch fiction award, which That's is part amazing. of the forest yes. of reading. Absolutely. And um, yeah, I'm like, I'm floored. It was, we got like a call from the like awards people and I almost didn't answer the phone because like it wasn't a number <laughs> I like recognized, but I hate having messages like voicemails right. more than I hate just picking up and hanging up if it's like, you yeah, know. a bot or something. Yes. Exactly. And I, it was like, hello, like really cagey. <laughs> and uh, I was having like this weird day and she was just like, congrats. You would want to know, like you've been nominated for this award. And I was like, what? And at first, again, I would think I was like skeptical because it's like, congrats. You've won a free night at the Marriott. And I'm like, mm. yeah, exactly. Yeah. But I remembered that um, Paranorthern's distributed by Raincoast Books uh, in Canada wonderful wonderful group of people and um my PR person there uh Fernanda she's wonderful she had messaged me a few weeks earlier and had been like mm, so like what would your phone number be if like say somebody needed to contact you for like an award and I didn't really think anything of it I was like yeah sure here's my number I thought she was just kind of like submitting my information uh, but that kind of like went through my head and I was like, sneaky, you're sneaky. And then she emailed me too. And was like, I've sat on this for like a month and I fell off my chair when I found out I was so excited. So yeah, I'm, there's a lot of really great titles in there with Paranorthern. I'm truly not expecting to win, but it's incredible to just be amongst all of these amazing other creators and I'm just really like blessed and thankful for that. It's just like, <laughs> it's one of those kind of markers that lets you know that you're on the right path. Yeah. And I just, again, this story is really deeply personal to me. And um, like, it, it means a lot to me. Again, it was my first thing that I ever sold. And not to get like too like sentimental here, but like I had a death in my family recently, but that person was the person that my parents encouraged me to read to very strongly. I'll say that, but we didn't have a lot of money. And this relative would always give me like 
um, a gift certificate for the bookstore. So every Christmas I'd have a little bit that I could go spend. And she lived really close to the Young and Eglinton Indigo. And um, after I'd visited her in 2018, I went to go to that Young and Eglinton Indigo that I'd kind of like grown up buying books in. And um, that was when my agent called and told me that we sold Paranorthern. Nice. And so I was like having a meltdown in this store and just like dancing and like, like doing this whole thing. And I'm sure they thought it was absolutely nuts, but, um, you know, it like for this to kind of be that book that is getting kind of some recognition and that people are really like resonating with, it's just, it makes me really happy. And it has like this nice connection to this relative that I've just like lost and like but I always know that like I have that as like something that now connects me in this meaningful way so I don't know if that sounds it makes sense but- oh it does it does there's um like I don't believe in coincidences and certain things happen just because they're meant to be good or bad and what you just explained is just the universe unfolding as it as it's you know kind of meant to yeah so it's really, really nice. And, um, I'm this book again is just like, it's got so much of like my personality and they're like, again, like, Oh my God, just Incha and myself. And right. we both really come through in the story there. Uh, but what this is, you know, my humor and like my dialogue and yeah. Although I will say, I don't know if it's like forced of reading, but like I, I'm doing like a couple kids things next year. And then like, I'm, I'm doing stuff with Canadian um, book week. Okay. And so I'm part of like the author roster for the 2022 book week. And somebody changed my bio on the site from, it was like one of the people there. It's kind of funny, but like, I wrote that I'm like uh, in my bio that I'm going to like, lover of puns and somebody changed it to Stephanie likes to tell bad jokes and it was like the audacity wow Wow. rude just a little bit judgy just a little bit judgy a little bit (laughs) it was like this is very rude it's Uh, funny puns puns are a high art they're a high art they are also, I do have a game called Punderdome, which is like a card game, and <laughs> it brings me a lot of joy. Nice, nice. Is it a Mad Max kind of reference, or? Yeah, like it's like I'll I'll, I'll tell you like I'll I'll send yeah. you like a, a shot of it later, but yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't play a lot of like board games these days because I don't hang out with anybody. But yeah. Uh, yeah, and I'm like the only one that's ever just like yeah puns, but still again your friends they have levels <laughs> absolutely absolutely for sure for sure and so i just want to um because we're on a bit of a personal tangent here um on your twitter feed you had mentioned uh, adhd is something that uh, is a part of your life can you elaborate on that a little bit yeah um so i've kind of for a long time known that i've had adhd like there is there was like a zero, less than 0% chance I had ADHD. And I'd kind of talked to my parents about it over the years. And um, it wasn't diagnosed the same way as it is now. And it was really hard to find in kids, especially young girls. Uh, And my parents thought that that was something that was maybe 
I could benefit from some help from, but we were never able to get like a formal diagnosis. And so I kind of just went through the years thinking that my hyperactivity and my lack of focus. And I don't know if you've noticed that I like to talk a lot, but all of these things like were actually just a part of this ADHD. Um, so recently in the last several months, I quit my job. I've been doing freelance full-time and it's one thing when you're kind of working on projects for yourself to kind of do things in your own time. And as long as you're making the deadlines and that sort of thing, but I've been doing some other projects for other people and occasionally like the focus, it just gets really hard to kind of stay on track. And I realized as much as I've kind of already weaponized this for the great, my greater good, I maybe needed to kind of find some help in discussing that and maybe looking into like some options for like medication. Uh, so I've been doing therapy, sorry, uh, to kind of manage the anxiety component that kind of came with, well, what came with me. And I think it's also a little bit of a byproduct, byproduct of my ADHD as well. Um, and yeah, recently I've been trying to kind of explore getting that diagnosis. So I did that like last month with my doctor, uh, and she walked me through getting that and how we could kind of the options basically. So yeah, I've recently started to kind of better manage that through, uh, medication and it's been great ish so far. Like it's definitely working, but I like now then get really focused on the things that if I'm kind of already doing something when like the medication kicks in, that's the thing I get real focused on. Right. You uh, on it. Yeah. So it's definitely playing around with my routine and making sure that I'm understanding how it affects my body. Um, that I think will kind of make or break whether that works for me. I know a lot of people like me just kind of let it pass for the years because, you know, even in Ontario, when we have healthcare, it can be really expensive to get like an official professional diagnosis from like an ADHD clinic. Um, but a lot of doctors, they went to medical school and they studied these things and depending on their comfort level might be able to kind of walk you through those things too, and do assessments without you having to pay like two, $3,000 to see somebody to do a professional ADHD assessment, you know, like they're familiar enough if they're comfortable with it and familiar enough, they can, your family doctor can help. And that's kind of the route I went as somebody who doesn't have benefits and OHIP doesn't cover that. So life of a freelancer. Yes. So I'm, I'm really grateful that my doctor was able to talk to me about it and to take me seriously and not to kind of just like brush off my concerns, which can be, you know, hard. Sometimes doctors are like overworked, especially during a pandemic. And they can just be like, yeah, you're fine. You know what? Like do some yoga, do like take some something or whatever. And, um, she's been really great in kind of making sure that I feel that I can function, you know, as best as I possibly can. So yeah, it's again, just kind of the start of like the official journey for me, but, uh, I highly recommend 
you know, if it's within your capabilities and you think you are struggling with ADHD or something else to talk to a doctor, even if you can't afford a specialist, a family doctor, even at a walk-in might be able to help you and give you some, um, advice that could really be life-changing for you. So. Oh, for sure. And, and especially with the time that we're living in with how uncertain everything is, um, I'm sure it must be quite an adjustment. And then also for how it would affect you creatively. Yeah. So far it's been pretty good. Um, like again, I'm just kind of starting out, so I can't kind of go into it super deeply here, but it's, again, kind of just trying to figure out, like, I I have a journal and I've been chronicling like my moods and like what kind of it does to me before and after so that I don't just kind of get settled in and not realize the pros and cons of what it's doing, you know? Um, so my doctor again is really great and, you know, we we're going to do a follow-up and basically go through those things and discuss whether that's a good fit for me, whether, there's a different dosage, whether there's other options. So yeah, I'm, I'm definitely like doctor hesitant sometimes and I put it off a lot. Um, but after having like a few friends who are also like comic creators get diagnoses and start their medication, like it's just made me feel comfortable with trying um, I think the concern is like, oh, my brain's going to shut up. It's not going to work the same way. It's not going to be as creatively driven. I'm not going to be able to process things the same way. And I think it's all levels, right? It depends on what you're on. It depends on how your body is taking things. It depends on all of these things that are, you'll only really know if you try, but, you know, I think it's always putting yourself first and kind of trying to do the things that will help you better survive this kind of roller coaster of a world, you know, give your best, give yourself your best chance of succeeding and being happy and being your version of successful, you know, not other people's version of it, which I think is a very important distinction. Uh, But I, I can't recommend making sure you talk to people about things that you're experiencing enough and seeking out help whenever possible. Right. Definitely. I, I think the big thing, the big takeaway I have from, from COVID is that isolation is not a human. Um, it's not something that we are supposed to be in, right. in. And so by not talking, by not sharing, by not being around others, you put yourself in a situation that's not the healthiest. And I think the more that we talk, the more that we're able to share what's going on inside, it just helps our mental health uh, as well as builds our sense of community. Yeah, I agree. And, um, you know, I know a lot of people have mixed feelings about therapy and stuff. And I'm, if that's not right for you, that's not right for you. But I think it's really important that you have somebody at the bare minimum in your life that you know, calls you on your BS and is there for you when you need someone to talk to and is like objectively just 
able to listen and can kind of be like, I think this, I saw this online like a little while ago and I love it where you vent to somebody and then they respond with, do you want solutions or do you want somebody to just listen? And I think it's really important to have a friend who knows when to offer stuff up and when to just kind of be someone you can lean on. And um, yeah, I'm really fortunate with my friend group, you know, I, I definitely am a hermit. I definitely really leaned into that during COVID. And then I was like, oh my God, I don't remember how to talk to people. Uh, but I'm really, really fortunate to have a few, as a lot of great friends, but a few, especially that I know I can come to with pretty much anything. And, you know, they'll be there to listen or be like, you're being irrational and bonkers or whatever, you know, I, we all need that. We absolutely can't just have people that are just like, yes, you go. Like, that's great. I love cheerleaders, but also if I'm being ridiculous, please somebody hold me accountable to that. Cause I, like I've said, I don't want to ever get comfortable in my life. I want to be a better person. I want people to tell me if I'm doing something toxic, you know, you actually put that into paranorthern, right? Cause Abby's support group, her crew, at different points, they're all there for each other, mm-hmm. right? But because she's the central uh, character, you see how all of her friends at in, in their own way support her and then also push her yeah. at different times in the story. Yeah, and a lot of those voices, I, I, I mean, I wrote that like that, but deliberately, but those are also really inspired by a lot of my personal friends. And the voices, it's like, how would this friend respond to me if like, this was like me saying this, like, how would, you know, this be this and, or how would they tackle this? How, how would they talk to Abby? Not me. I'm not a self-inserted in this, but you know, like, I think it's important to kind of think about those people in your life and to make realistic dialogue and voices you have to draw from different people that, you know, or else it's just like one note. And I, I really try my best to kind of like, not, you know, steal directly from people, but find inspiration in the people that I admire and the people who have like kind of strong personalities that I think fit these characters and asking how would they, how would so-and-so do this or whatever. And, um, Yeah, again, you have to have, most people, again, have friend groups with levels, like Paranorthern, again, unless the cloud school thing. But um, yeah, finding those people that accept you for who you are and love you regardless, uh, you know, that takes us a really long time sometimes to find in our lives, but you like hold on to them dearly when you do find them. And uh, yeah. They're rare gems. So yeah. with 2021 coming to a close, what can we look forward to from you in 2022? Yeah. So uh, there's definitely more. Oh my God's coming out. We have, Oh my God's to the forgotten maze, which will arrive on in April, I don't know the exact date, April, 2022. So I've got that going on. Um, I've been writing a video game also. Wow. Uh, I feel like I've really glazed over several things that I've been doing this year, but uh, (laughs) uh, I've been writing a video game for a Toronto-based game developer called Kid and Cup Studio. 
Um, so it's a game called Pico and it's a tea making simulator that takes place in a town populated by cats. Um, so Interesting. it's a delight. It's going to be on Steam. You can find it there. And um, I'm writing that right now. That should be out in 2022, although I don't know exactly when. Um, we're working on that. I think kind of summer-ish. So right. I have that coming out. Um, I have been editing for a couple of really cool projects. Um, and hopefully I'll either be able to announce those or be able to share more about those very, very soon. Um, definitely there'll be a couple coming out in 2022. I just don't know when. So lots of cool things on the horizon. I'm doing like a bunch of wearing a bunch of different hats, I guess you could say. The video right. game is like really, really fun and gets to kind of scratch a different itch, I suppose. And uh, it's been an absolute blast to work on. Like, honestly, this entire year has been like me writing about cats, animals, and raccoons. Like, <laughs> and I can't say anything more too, but like I was in like a call yesterday and they like got an offer for like another like pet related thing. And I was like, yes, is this my brand now? I was like, oh, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah. I'm very excited. That's great. That's great. Well, it was a pleasure to talk to you again. Um, you know, best of luck moving forward and good luck with the nomination. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me back. You are wonderful. I loved that segue right back to Paranorthern. You are very good at what you do. And uh, <laughs> thank you. This was great. All right. Great. Uh, awesome. Thanks for thanks again.